James has already prayed. We've already prayed together, but let me just add my prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this letter, this very old letter, and we thank you um, for the way you have scripted it, that it is so new and fresh and relevant for our lives today. We thank you for the warning that has come through it, but we thank you for the comfort as well. We pray that you would help us to receive that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are in the letter of James again, and we're continuing from chapter 4, verse 13, and reading to chapter 5, verse 12. So chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Last time in James, it was about repentance after going in the wrong direction, wandering away from God, it was about making a decision to turn back, 
and give over our sinful hearts to be cleansed by the blood of the Lamb and draw near to God, heading in the right direction. Now, having drawn near to God, this time it's all about remaining near to God, remaining steadfast, remaining in Christ, constantly drawing near to God with an established heart. Last time I highlighted two key verses for part one and and part two. Part one was chapter four, verse eight. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And then in part two, which is today, chapter five, verse eight. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Notice how in chapter 5, verse 8, remaining near God, having an established heart, is placed within the context of being patient for the Lord's coming. That's the big message about how to remain near to God. We establish our hearts by being patient for the Lord is coming. And this morning we're going to explore how this aspect of being patient for the Lord's coming has two sides to it. There is a warning, but there's also comfort. So point one then, on the back of the order of service, warning, the Lord is coming, establish your heart. Remaining with God requires patience, but When James says to be patient for the Lord is coming, I don't think it's because everyone is on the edge of their seats, jittering and hyped up, standing at the window, ready for Jesus to appear. I think James is saying be patient because the opposite is true. They may have been keen Christians early on, but as times pass, they've lost interest. Imagine you're at the airport and you're waiting for a friend to arrive and you've got Um, some gifts, some flowers. You can't wait for them. They're they're coming any minute, and you can't wait to get them back to the car to take them home. But then you get bored, and you wander off and get a cup of tea. It's not much of a, a welcome party when they do arrive, and you've wandered off. And it's at this kind of attitude that the warning is pointing at. An established heart is patient because it's always employed in being a Christian. Patient, patient, patient. Three times James has that word in just verses 7 and 8. Patient, he says, be patient like a farmer. Let's just read 7 and 8 once more under that context. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The farmer works hard to do everything within his power to grow his crop, but ultimately he must be patient as he waits for what is beyond his power and control for the crop to grow. Time and nutrients, it will take the early and the late rains for any fruit from his labors to be revealed. Now, if we're drawn near to God, that's amazing. But remaining near God, remaining in Christ, remaining steadfast will need our patience. 
as we receive nutrients throughout the course of our life, growing spiritually before the Lord comes. Now, how crazy would it be if the farmer was only interested in instant results because he wasn't prepared to wait until the late rains? I'm pretty sure he'd see nothing for his labors, so I guess he'd probably give up on farming altogether. Now, the reason the warning is here is because we're not talking about fruits and vegetables, but our souls. In part one, we saw that in chapter four, verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy. At the harvest of righteousness, to use the language of James, what will the Lord find when he looks upon us? What will he find when he looks upon our our friends, our, our family, people we work with, people at school? There's a warning here, a warning for those who have never decided to take Jesus seriously, And a warning for those who did once upon a time, but then lost interest. There may very well be a long road ahead, a long time of waiting for the late rains. And it's so easy to lose interest, become apathetic, to gain interest in worldly things in our time of waiting. But these things, as we've seen in the letter, seemingly minor and everyday struggles as they are, can lead us in the wrong direction. Even really everyday things like grumbling, chapter 4, verse 9. Small little conflicts with something as small as words, spoken by something as small as a, a tongue, can lead to big, big problems. We've seen that in the letter already. And if something small like grumbling against brothers and sisters can lead to big wandering from the Lord... What happens when the Lord comes in judgment? Verse 9 says, the judge is standing at the door. If we really believe the judge is, in fact, standing at the door, what would Jesus find if he returned this very moment? What would Jesus find if he returned this evening, tomorrow morning? I wonder if sometimes we think that if Jesus found us sinning by grumbling, it wouldn't be as bad as Jesus finding us sinning by sleeping with someone outside of marriage or or stealing something from a, a shop or physically attacking someone. Now, they are, of course, different things, but are they not all equally dangerous if they've caused us to wander away from God? If the Lord is standing at the door and, and something as small as grumbling has led us to wander away from God, it doesn't really matter what kind of sin we're involved in or or has caused it. Because if we've wandered away from the Lord, he'll only find us in judgment and condemned. And as verse 12 says, James is all about trying to prevent and avoid people falling under condemnation. So the answer is quite simple. Just keep relying on the Lord. Keep being patient, waiting upon him, remaining steadfast. Now, if you look at chapter 4, verse 13, down to 5, 6, there's two sections which I call in my, my studies the two come now sections. Verse 13, come now, you who say today or tomorrow. 5, 1, come now, you rich, weep and howl, etc. 
Now, the first come now section is about people who only seek their own will, the will of the self, instead of trying to discern the will of the Lord. And it would be easy to, to think that uh, the big warning for these people is to stop trying to make so much money and go and live in the desert and, or be a hermit in a cave or something like that. But if you notice, verse 16 tells us that this section is about arrogance. Verse 16, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. If we lose interest in what the Lord's doing between now and the Lord's coming, we are left with nothing but ourselves, the, the will of the self. And surely we know from the warnings of this letter enough by now that the sin that lies in the heart is too dangerous to give over our lives to its own will. From early on in my, my Christian life, um, and especially as I was looking into doing ministry, I, I had a verse on, on my heart, which was Proverbs 16:9. The heart of man makes plans, but the Lord establishes his steps. The heart of man makes plans, but the Lord establishes his steps. Now, if you cut out the second half of this proverb, you cut out the Lord. What is this but arrogance? Arrogance and ignorance. James describes them at the end of verse 14 as a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. And I think in the, when you think of how James started this letter to the dispersion, surely he's reminding them of how fragile life can be, how brittle our plans can be, how uncertain our goals and ambitions are against the Lord's will. To take control is to try and make some security for our lives. I will go to such and such a town, and I will spend a year there, and I will make a profit. But how in control are we really? How much security do we have in trusting in our own power? Compared to God, is our power anything but like a mist that so easily vanishes? The heart of man makes plans, and a heart that is pure, without bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, a heart of chapter 3, verse 13, a heart of chapter 4, verse 8, it rejoices that the Lord is coming, because the person who has an established heart for the Lord rejoices that each step is established by the Lord, and welcomes the coming of the Lord. For such a heart, the coming of the Lord is reason for joy and not a warning at all. It's great comfort, which is our second point. Comfort, the Lord is coming. Establish your heart. Remaining with God requires patience. For those without patience, there is a warning, but there really is great comfort because for some people, the reason they are without patience is because they've grown so tired in suffering. Remaining in suffering means believing God is there even when he seems hidden and you feel alone in the darkness. It means believing the Lord is at the door. He is coming. Therefore, it is all temporary. 
Whereas point one this morning, where the, the coming of the Lord was like an alarm clock, in point two, the coming of the Lord is, is more like an arm around our shoulder for encouragement. Or it's like running a long race and being handed a bottle of water. A friend of mine has, uh, has recently taken up reading autobiographies of Christians. Um, and in particular, he's reading the lives of great preachers. Um, I mean, he's training to be a preacher, so that makes sense. And he's found it really inspirational uh, and motivational to read through the lives of Christians who remain steadfast through all suffering, through all trials, and they, they ran the race and they finished well. And I thought that was a great idea for all of us, really. And, and I remembered I'd once got a copy of uh, Robert Murray McShane's memoirs. I don't know if you're familiar with them. And there's a, a book with a letter, uh, there's a, a letter in the book titled How God Works by Providences. And I thought it was very helpful for, day, for today's sermon because in this letter, it's a message of comfort about patience in suffering. And that's uh, a topic that James introduces in chapter 5, verse 10. Patience in suffering. And he holds up as an example in verse 11 the steadfastness of Job. And that's exactly what McShane does with his uh, message of comfort for Christians in suffering. And what he does as his core text is he unpacks Job chapter 24, verse 8 to 10. Now, feel free to go there if you want, but I will, I will read it out. Job 24, verse 8 to 10. Oh, no, sorry, that's wrong. Chapter 23, 8 to 10. Well, to give, give you a bit of context, if you've not read this book before, Job has been... Um, suffering, he's gone through every trial. He's trying to be patient, but he's trialed and trialed again. And in his struggling, he cries out, verse 8, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Now, what McShane says about this is that what we have here is a child of light walking in darkness. Perhaps more than one trouble has come on you at a time, wave upon wave, thorn upon thorn. You cannot explain God's dealings with you you cannot get God to explain them. Almost every believer is at one time or another brought to feel this difficulty. What I really like about what McShane does, though, is that he'll go on to talk about Job's words about trusting the Lord's testing will bring him out as gold. And I think that's a very relevant thing for James. The, the people James has been writing to have dealt with big dramatic sufferings like that of Job, but they've also dealt with the less dramatic looking, but still piercing daily thorn stuck in their side of all kinds of trials. But here is the comfort to them and to us. The Lord is coming. 
establish your hearts, the Lord is coming, and ask yourself, in the trials that I'm facing right now, how is the Lord turning me into gold? And if we trust that he is turning us into gold, if we trust he is doing this, if we trust that our trials are, not, uh, are temporary because he is at the door, then can we not count these trials as joy? Chapter 1, verse 2. There is great comfort here that the Lord is coming. McShane also says, there will be an end of your affliction. Christians must have great tribulation, but they come out of it. We must carry the cross, but only for a moment. Then comes the crown. He says, I remember one child of God's saying that if, I were, if it were God's will that she should remain in trials a thousand years, she could not but delight in his will. How very James-like. How very much a warning for those who have given up, but great comfort for those who want to carry on. In the second come now section from chapter 5 verse 1 to 6, I really love how this warning and comfort message of the Lord's coming plays out. Now, the warning would be to those of verse 3. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you. It's for the people who have laid up treasures on the last days, as in, as in people who have not cared about God's will. They've not cared about loving their neighbor. But instead, verse 4, they've employed workers for their business but refused to even give them wages. They are lawless men. There is a warning here to those of verse 5 who've lived in luxury and self-indulgence, who've fattened their hearts in a day of slaughter. But there is another angle to this, an angle of comfort for those who've been victims to people who have behaved so badly, the people who need to hear James's words about patience and suffering. Because in verses 1 to 6, I don't think it's so much the Lord's coming, but arriving in judgment, standing as the judge, a future image, as it were, of those who have so wronged so many people, receiving their condemnation. To those victims, James brings comfort and says, be patient, establish your hearts, the Lord is coming. I remember talking to someone once about the Lord's return um, quite early on, and I, and I said, um, when I'm walking around in a supermarket, I don't know if I've ever really believed or thought about the fact that before I get to the till, Jesus could beat me there in his return. And I thought that was a challenge to try and think, how would I live my life if I really believed the Lord was coming and standing at the door? Because if you really believe the Lord is at the door, you can see how from today's passage, it is a comfort, but there's also the potential problem. It could lead to a problem of arrogance, if you take the Lord out from Proverbs 16.9, if your heart makes plans to the will of the self and you don't care about the will of the Lord, 
James says you're just left boasting in your arrogance. Wake up and feel the weight of this warning. But if you're in times of suffering and it feels like the Lord is hidden, and as you search in darkness like Job in chapter 24, if you believe the Lord is coming, then there is comfort. If you believe he's at the door, there is comfort. In part one, the battle of the heart, God called us to come back from our wandering, to turn around and come home. All the sin, the burden that we carry, he called us to lay it at the cross and just give it to Jesus. Now God's saying, remain with him. Remain steadfast. Live united in him, completely, single-mindedly fixated on his love walking the way of righteousness. Be patient. Keep battling hard in the right direction. Staying strong in faith, a faith that keeps our hearts beating to the sound of God's word. For the Lord is coming. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for our salvation. We pray that you would help us to remain steadfast. Help us to remain in Christ and anticipate and expect his coming. Lord, we pray that this truth would ring throughout our lives, not just in time ahead, but today. Help us today, if we have wandered in any way, to commit to you, to draw near to you, and to commit to remaining in you. And Father, finally, just pray that we would be a church that helps each other to remain, that we would not judge each other, but we would encourage each other. Use us to help each other. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.